Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. Good morning, church. How are you guys? I hope and pray that your Thanksgiving was great and that your fridges are still full. Because aren't leftovers just part of the great joy of Thanksgiving? One of the many great things about it. So ours, I think, is, is empty. I think our, our leftovers are donezo, but they were good. They were good while they lasted. So, all right. Well, it's great to be here this morning. I'm excited to be able to share with you and kind of kick us off on our Advent season. Man, I love Advent. I'm going to get into that here in a second, but before we do, I just want to give a quick plug here for World Mandate. So World Mandate, coming up on February 3rd and 4th. Uh, we are excited. If you haven't picked up on that yet, we are excited about this. And I want to just be clear that World Mandate is not just something that we're kind of, we're trying to hype us up with. It's not a conference that we're trying to just get a conference high with, but this is actually a liturgy a part of our, the rhythm of our life here in this community of faith where we will be shaped by it. We'll be shaped by this type of an atmosphere where we say, hey, in this, in this time, just like in our church-wide prayers and fasts, our church, our Advent season, all these different liturgies that we have, these are things that shape our desires and shape who we are. And so in an atmosphere like this where we say, hey, church, we're coming in and we're going to be all in into Jesus. We're giving our all to him and we're saying yes to him in that type of an environment and atmosphere where anything is possible, man, that's an awesome place to be. So you do not want to miss it. I really want to encourage you to go ahead and sign up. If I see you even right now on your phones registering for World Mandate, I won't be offended. If you're checking your fantasy football team, that can wait. We'll be out in time. Don't worry. But if you're registering, that'll be all right. All right? So I'm looking at you, Micah. That's, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I know. Sorry to call you out here. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Awesome. So uh, go ahead and register. And yeah, if you're asking the question, is World Mandate for me? Let me go ahead and answer that question for you. Yes, it is. And I really, I had, I had somebody talking to me about it and said, I feel like maybe I should wait and make sure every, you know, others are able to register just to make sure there's enough room. And I was like, man, just jump in. Don't wait. This, this has been something that for the last 22 years of my life has radically shaped my life. And I want all of us to be able to experience that. So if you're asking that question, then the answer is yes. You got the answer. So now we can move forward. That sound good? Awesome. All right. Well, we finished up an awesome sermon series last week on the Sermon on the Mount. It was so good. What a good little stretch we just had there. Uh, walk, just studying the words of Jesus. What a great thing to do. And, uh, and today we're going to be, I'm honored to be able to welcome us into this new sermon series, this Advent sermon series called The Gift. So in this sermon series, we're going to be talking about the gift of Jesus in all kinds of different ways. And if you've been around Antioch for a few years, you know that uh, traditionally in our very high church calendar uh, that we hold here at Antioch, that this is the Sunday where Graydon preaches. Um, this is, and we lovingly call this 
Graydon Sunday, you know. And, uh, but, you know, I gave Graydon the ADS, the discipleship school, and he gave me the first Sunday of Advent. So, hey, that's, that's how things work around here. Um, so, no, I'm really excited to be able to preach and um, to be able to share this. And the reason is because this revelation, the revelation of God in the incarnation, in the coming of Jesus, changed my life. When, I, when my eyes were open, I began to really see it fresh. It changed everything. And my hope and prayer today is that it will do the same for us. So we're going to walk through today. I'm going to be talking about the incarnation. I don't know for sure what the others are going to be talking about, but I do know, I think we're just walking through the gift of Jesus and his crucifixion and his resurrection, the gift of the life of Jesus and everything that he brought for us. So it's going to be an awesome time. And our prayer during this series is that together as a church, we would see Jesus so much deeper and clearer than we've ever seen him before. That sound good? I want that. I want that. And I know you guys do as well. So today we're talking about the incarnation. And like I said, this revelation of God and the coming of Jesus totally revolutionized and changed my walk with the Lord. And um, the fact is, though, is that we miss it all the time. We, it, it's because it's so hard to see Jesus and to stay focused on him in the middle of Christmas season in, in America, right? There are a lot of distractions. I remember even growing up, I grew up in a Christian home, and I remember actually feeling guilty, like, I'm not thinking about Jesus enough, because really what I want are the gifts, I really want the gifts. I'm super excited. I'm pretty sure this is the year that mom and dad are going to get me the original Nintendo console with Super Mario Brothers and Tecmo Bowl. Can I get a witness? Amen. Amen. 80s and 90s kids, early 90s. So, uh, man, that's really, that's, that's so, but there's a lot of other distractions and it's not just for kids, right? It might, there might be things like, there, the gifts might be distracting for all of us. We all love gifts. But there's also the busyness of the season. There's so much going on. There's, there's things that we have to get to. There's parties and all these types of things. There's gifts we have to buy. There's all types of things going on that distract us. Maybe school performances, if, if you have kids. Or it could be something a little more serious. It might be family dynamics that you're, you know you're going to have to face. Because you know that's coming up. You know you're going to be over at somebody's house. And you're going to have to face those dynamics might be financial tensions. It might be the loss of a loved one that this reminds you of, or this is the first time that you're walking through Christmas without that person. There's a lot of things that distract us and that will cause tension and cause struggle. And I bet if you're like me, you've probably gone through a lot of Christmas seasons struggling to see Jesus. And I don't want, I don't want that for me, and I don't want that for us. And I remember one day, probably about 10 years ago, uh, I was praying over a diff difficult pastoral situation in a life group. And I, it was really one of those situations where it's like, Lord, I don't know what to do. And I remember just sitting at my desk and just kind of, I don't know how to navigate this, Lord. Would you help me? And I, I felt like the Lord just was like, open up to a psalm and let's just pray that psalm. So I, I don't actually remember the psalm. But the psalm said something along the lines of, I'm surrounded by my enemies, and I don't know what to do, but I call on you, and you answered me, and you rescued me, and you came and set me free from my enemy. It was something along those lines. 
And as I, as I, then I just began to pray it. I prayed it back to him. Lord, I don't know what to do. I feel surrounded by my enemies. I don't know how to navigate this. But Jesus, I call on you, and I know you'll rescue me. I know you'll come to me and set me free from my enemy. And as I prayed this, I sensed the Lord just say something to me that was surprising. He said, this is Christmas. Well, it was the middle of July. I wasn't thinking about Christmas. So it was a little bit surprising. I went, just paused. I was like, what are you saying? Like, this is Christmas. And so I, I just, I said, Lord, what are you saying by this? And I felt like he said to me, I didn't, I have come to you and I have rescued you and I'll do it again today. That's the type of God that I am. I come to you. I don't just leave you in your mess. I come to you. I've, re- I've come to you. This is Christmas. And in that moment, I got a deeper revelation of God and his goodness, his nature, his kindness, that he didn't leave me alone. And that in fact, this whole thing of Christmas, of him coming to us, is actually, it's the whole big deal. It's the whole thing. It's the, it's the beautiful It's the beauty of this story of God that he came to us. He did not leave us alone. And when we start to see it, we see it everywhere. And it's mind-blowing. It's beautiful. And as I walked through that difficult situation, then I was able to trust that even in my lack of knowing how to navigate this, that he's with me. He's with me. And that's the revelation of God, that he is Emmanuel, God with us. But the problem is that we have is that we often, if we don't see the, that the, incar- the revelation of God and the incarnation of Jesus, then, then we, we miss out on this very significant piece of his nature and his character. And so the results are really, import- are really catastrophic when we don't see this because we, we would think that God is distant. We will think that God is aloof and apathetic. We will think that God is uninterested in us. And if I were to ask any of us, me or you, that's that question, is God aloof? Is he apathetic towards you? We would go, no, of course not. But the reality is, is that so many times we actually walk out and, and our actions reflect that God is apathetic and he is not interested in me, so I have to figure this out on my own. It's, really, it's, it's all, I mean, this week I was walking in it. This week we were, I'm confident of it. So we, you know, in short, we miss that God is a loving father. So, so many of those things are loving father attributes, right? They're attributes of a father who's, who's there, who's with us in our mess, who cares for us. But the, we're missing out on that piece of that God is a loving father. So much of what Jesus was revealing to us was that God is a loving father. So the results of this is that we think we have to figure things out on our own. I can't trust God. I can't trust anybody else. I have to pull myself up by my own bootstraps, and we become afraid. Fear is our primary motivation. And then all of that ultimately leads to an orphan spirit, feeling like I've got to fight for and provide for myself because I have nobody else. Oof. But that's not who he is, right? We know that, but... Lord, would you open our eyes? When we see the love of God in the sending of his son, then we recognize that he is close, that he is with us, that he is Emmanuel, that he cares about the details of our lives. 
that he is interested in us. And the result of this is that we can trust him. We know we can trust him. We, we know we're loved and we feel secure. Ultimately, this then reinforces our identity as children of God, right? It reinforces that identity. So the consequences are so big. They're so big. And so we're going to talk about this today. And, you know, this is a pastoral message. And my heart, and then more importantly, God's heart, as I walked through this process of preparing for this, man, my heart was just, just overflowing. I mean, as Jamie mentioned last week, it starts in the prayer room, just, God, what are you saying to the church? And it just, man, just tears, like, God, you're so good that you came to us. And so that my heart, this is a pastoral message, that he really, he really wants us to know him. That's been the, the gut. He wants us to know him at a really deep place. And um, my prayer has been Ephesians 1.17 over us as I prepared, prepared for this. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know him better. Amen. This, this week uh, as well, just one other word that I sense the Lord speaking. I'm I'll run through a park here nearby, Kellis Park, and I was running through, and nine out of t- maybe 99 out of 100 times, actually, that, that, there's a creek bed that runs through it, and it's, it's dry, and uh, there might be a little puddle, you know, from time to time, and uh, this last week, with all the rains, man, that creek was rushing, and I felt just in that moment as I saw that, I felt like the Lord said, there's, gonna, there's some dry beds and in all of us, there's dry places in our hearts that he wants to just let the river run fresh today. So wherever you sense the Lord, that, that dryness or that sense of, man, I'm longing for more, then it, it, there's a fresh word here for us, that the river is running. The river is running. We're going to see more of him today. So may the Lord open our eyes today, amen, to more of him. So the main thing here this morning is the incarnation reveals to us that God did not leave us alone, but came to us and rescued us by setting us free from fear and releasing us into our identity as his children. So I just want to pray this for us here today and just ask for the Holy Spirit to come and, and open our eyes. So would you guys here just pray with me? Yeah, Jesus, we are in need of you right now and we want to see more of you. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we would know you better. We want to know you more. So Spirit of God, would you come and have your way in this house right now in each one of our hearts and meet us in a way that each one of us needs and that we need as a corporate body. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, in order to unpack this, we're going to uh, we're going to open up the Word of God, and uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to zoom out, and we're going to look at the bigger picture of, of, narrative, of the scripture, uh, narrative of Scripture, and then we're going to zoom in, and we're going to look at Jesus. That's a, I'm pulling a Jamie right here, right? He does the zoom in, zoom out. That's what we're going to do. We're going to zoom in and zoom out. Um, so uh, we, let's begin by zooming out. We're going to look at some Old Testament scriptures, and I'm going to briefly touch on a couple of quick stories. We're not even going to turn there, just kind of touch on them, but I want to really focus in on Isaiah 7, 
and then uh, and then we're going to link that in and in the into the zoom in. We're going to link that into Matthew one, and that's those are going to be our two key passages: are Isaiah seven and Matthew one. All right. So the reason this is so important for us to zoom out is because I want us to understand that this revelation of God that's seen in the incarnation of Jesus is not some type of new characteristic of God. It's not something new or fresh that came along with the, as Jesus came, but in fact, it's something from the very beginning of time and even before the beginning of time that's been a part of who he is. It's his very nature. And so it's important to kind of look at some of these kind of zoom out and look at some of the bigger picture in order for us to see Jesus even clearer. So uh, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. And so we're going we're gonna to see that here. But as we walk through these passages, I think what we'll see is as a, there's a pattern that happens in these different stories as God is interacting with these different ones. And he's, uh, it, it starts with often a crisis. There's a crisis of some kind. It might be self-inflicted, their own sin, or it might be somebody else's sin or some kind of disaster or something. There is a crisis of some kind. And then second, God, they encounter God in some way. God comes and meets them. An angel comes to them. He speaks to them somehow. In some form or fashion, God enters into the situation. And the first things that nine out of ten times that he says are this phrase, do not be afraid. So many times. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. Do not be afraid. And he, go, he walks through that over and over again. And man, I can testify how many times does fear make me do weird things. Anybody else in the room? A couple, three or four of you. Awesome. So, so uh, if I parent out of fear rather than out of love, it gets weird. It gets bad. If I re- enter into any kind of situation of any kind that I'm dealing with out of a place of fear rather than a place of trust, then it gets sinful and wrong. I come up with my own ideas, my own devices. So, man, that's it, what, what kind words for him to say to us. Don't be afraid, right from the beginning. Then third, they get to choose. They get to choose to believe God or not. They get the dignity of that choice. And then, depending on how that all works out, God just keeps coming after them with his love. They, there will be consequences. If they say no, if they walk away, there's, of course, consequences. There's, there's consequences to our sin, But his love doesn't stop. His love keeps coming after us. His love kept coming. So that's the pattern that we'll see it over and over and over again. And uh, so we see this pattern first in the creation narrative in Genesis 1 through 3 with Adam and Eve. God was with Adam and Eve in the garden. They were flourishing under his rule and authority. Uh, and, and, when they, and then they, uh, they were, unfortunately, they began to doubt the goodness of God, right? They felt like God was holding out on them. And so they doubted his goodness and his kindness and instead decided to take things into their own hands and eat of the fruit that they were told not to. And when they did that, then their eyes were open. They became ashamed of themselves and they, and they hid themselves from God. And I want, to take, I want you to hear that God in that story, God came to them in their mess. They were the ones who hid. 
They hid away from God, but he still came to them. There were consequences, and he went on and talked about that. There's consequences to what you've done, but I love you, and I'm with you. His, his presence did not leave. We see that again and again. There's the same in the stories of Abraham. Abraham was given a promise by God that he would have many descendants, right? In Genesis 12, he believed God, and God was with him. And he walked with God. And as he and Sarah then became older, he had this promise, but he didn't have any kids. His promise was, you're going to have many descendants. Reality was, he had no kids, but he's getting older. So how's this all going to work out? Well, I've got an idea. I'm going to take things into my own hands, is what Abraham thought. And he went and he slept with his slave, Hagar. Yikes. That's got messy real fast. Got messy real fast. Got a love triangle going on. So, but even that was not God's plan. But even in the midst of that mess that Abraham and Sarah created, um, in, God came into that situation. So there was the crisis, God entered in. And in Genesis 17, if you read it yourself, you'll see God met Abraham, reminded of him of his true identity, renewed that covenant. And then, they, and, and Abraham said, yes, he wanted to walk with the Lord. And then you even see in Genesis 16 and 21, you see God coming in and, and rescuing Hagar and Ishmael, who were just really, they were just victims in this whole mess. But God came to them and rescued them out of certain death and even blessed them and said he would be with them. It's powerful. It's beautiful. We could go on through the Old Testament if we had time. We could walk through story after story, moment after moment where God came and met people in the middle of their messes. God gave them an opportunity to trust in him. And when they did, he would renew his covenant with them and remind them of who he, really, of who he is and who they are. But I want to focus in on Isaiah 7 and King Ahaz and because what Christmas sermon would be complete without talking about King Ahaz? Right, right. So uh, the reason will be clear in a minute, all right? So, so let's go ahead and open up to Isaiah 7. And uh, we're going to take a look at this. I want to give you a little bit of context, though, first. So uh, King Ahaz was the king of, of, southern, of the southern kingdom of Israel. And uh, he was in the bloodline of King David, nine generations after King David. He was in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. So this, this guy's... He's there. He's, he's, in the, he's in the middle of all this. But King Ahaz was a, an evil king. If you want to read more about him, you can read about him in, in 2 Kings 16. Uh, in 2 Kings 16, the, that passage tells us that Ahaz did not walk with God, but in fact was an idol worshiper, and he even sacrificed his own son to idols. He was, yeah, he was, just, he was uh, not a, a good king not walking in the footsteps of his father, David. But this gives us the background that we need to understand Isaiah 7. So in Isaiah 7, we pick up the story where Ahaz is under severe political pressure, and he's got two enemies who are coming against him and about to attack his city, about to attack uh, his kingdom, Jerusalem. And, uh, and so uh, as he's preparing, he's, you know, as I said, he's not a man who seeks after God's heart, uh, but instead, he was relying, he was not one who was looking to and relying upon the strength of the Lord. Instead, this story picks up where he is going out and looking at the, his own strength. 
He is trying to look at the strength of his own resources, his own kingdom. So he's out actually looking at the aqueducts at his water supply. And he's trying to see, am I going, how am I going to survive this, this battle that's about to happen? He's relying upon his own strength instead of on the, the strength of the Lord. And so it's into this messy situation that God sends Isaiah to speak to Ahaz. So let's, let's read it here. We're going to start in verse 3. So then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Shir Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. Say to him, Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these, smol- these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Remaliah, Aram, Ephraim, and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabeel king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. So God enters into this situation and is saying, Ahaz, I'm saying I'm going to defend you but I'm calling you to trust me in the middle of this. I'm calling you to trust on my name. And the way that he says, I'm going to call you to trust on me, is he says in verse 11, if we flash that up on the screen, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. So right there, he's saying, I will prove it to you. If you'll trust me, I'll prove it to you. I'll pro- ask me for a sign. But then uh, Ahaz in his uh, false humility says, and I, I imagine a, kind of a, an annoying kingly voice saying, oh, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. So noble of you, Ahaz. The Lord has told you to ask for a sign. He said, I'm going to prove it to you. Let me prove it to you. He said, oh, what he's really saying is, I've made up my mind before you ever opened your mouth. I'm not going to trust you, even if you proved it to me. Isaiah said back to him in verse 13. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Let's just stop there. He calls him by his real name, he calls him by his identity, house of David. What he, what, if it were calling him by his current actions, it would be, here now, you idol worshiper. But instead, the Lord's heart for us is to call out our true identity. Here now, house of David, because I made a covenant with your great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. Your I made a covenant with your people. I won't leave you alone. I won't, my love won't stop coming after you. And so I call you by your real name, house of David. He's calling us by our real name. And so here now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So this is the context of this. I mean, we, we often hear that scripture. That, and in fact, that's that's what we're going to look at in Matthew 1 is the, the reference to this scripture, the fulfillment of this prophecy in the coming of Jesus. But now we see a fuller picture of the context that God is saying into your absolute crazy mess 
of idol worship and, and turning away from me and not listening to me. I am going to prove faithful to my promise. I'm going to be the God that says, I'm coming after you even when you don't want me to. Even when you don't want me to. I'm going to say, I'm going to prove it to you even when you don't want me to. Because his love is like a father that's just unbelievable. And what I, even in the prayer room as I was just praying, I was like, man, if, if, if my kids even had a glimpse of how much I love them, it would like, it would, it would crush them. And I'm just a human. How much more when we catch just a glimpse of our heavenly father's love for us, that he just keeps coming after us, that in that place, man, it would just drop us to our knees again and again and again. It's so good. Even in worship this morning, just drop into my knees. God, your goodness comes running after me. Oh, this is the revelation of God. And this is the context of this incredible prophetic word of, that links us in now into Matthew chapter 1. So let's, let's head there to Matthew 1. And uh, we're going to look at uh, verses 18 through 23. So let's read this here together. So this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came to, together, she, found, uh, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, identity, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And here's Matthew's commentary. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So again, in this passage, we're, we're picking up that same story, but a few hundred years later, right? And along comes, uh, you know, this promise was given in Isaiah 7, but we had not seen the fulfillment of that. They didn't quite understand what all that meant. But along comes a man named Joseph, whose fiance Mary becomes pregnant, and he knows that he's not the father. Wow, that's messy. That's messy. In his mind at that point, it was messy. He didn't see God in the midst of it. But an angel comes to him and says, God says, don't be afraid. God comes into his mess and says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Calls him again, the house of David, son of David. Calls him by his identity, who he really is. And the angel went on to explain that God is in the middle of this whole situation. That his plan is being worked out. And then Matthew writes in his commentary what we just read in verse 22 and 23, and he makes the connection between the coming of Jesus and the prophecy in Isaiah 7 of the birth of Emmanuel, that this is now being fulfilled in the birth of his son, Jesus. 
that this is now the, re- the reality, the working out of God with us is now coming to flesh and blood. And he makes the connection and draws the line saying, Jesus is the embodiment of the revelation that God is with us. He is the embodiment of this. He is the working it out. This is significant here. This one other piece out of Matthew, he, he starts in Matthew 1 with this promise being what we're, what we're hearing, that he is the revelation of God, that God is with us. And then he ends Matthew 28 with what? The Great Commission, right? And what are the last words of the Great Commission? I'll be with you. He begins and ends his testimony of who Jesus is as him being Emmanuel, God with us from beginning to end. And in this moment, the revelation of God that we talked about throughout the Old Testament, all of this narrative of Scripture that we very briefly touched on, but we could dig in more deeply into it, is now being fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecy. He is the incarnate Son of God. And as John said in the Gospel, he is in his Gospel in John chapter 1, he is the Word of God. He is the love letter of God, the communication of God. As Paul said, as, uh, I'm going to go back, as Acts, in Acts 1, he said he's the one who, who, prophet, who uh, with the promised outpouring of his spirit, which is God in us. The promise, it is better for me, it is better for you if I leave because an advocate is coming. He's filling us with his presence. God with us. This is the plan. Are we seeing it? This is the plan from day one. This is the plan. As Paul said in Colossians 1, he's the image of the invisible God. If we want to see what God is like, then we look to Jesus. As, Paul, as uh, the author of Hebrews wrote in Hebrews 1, he's the radiance of God and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. As John said in his first, I'm going to keep going. Are you guys all right with that? We're going to keep talking about Jesus and testifying about who he is. As John said in his first letter to the church, he is the love of God expressed. If we want to know what God's love is like, then we look to the sending of his son. As John continued on in Revelation, so much there in John, he is the one with the golden sash around his chest, hair like wool, eyes like blazing fire, and uh, uh, where am I? Eyes like blazing fire, and whose face is like the sun shining in all its brilliance. He's the one, John said, is the first and last, the living one. He's dead, and now he's alive forever and ever, and he holds the keys of death and Hades. And finally, in Revelation 21 and 22, He is the exalted one, seated on his throne, the bridegroom waiting for his bride, the one who said to us, to the thirsty, I will give you water without cost from the spring of the water of life. This is the Jesus who was prophesied about from beginning to end. He is Emmanuel. It's been his plan from the beginning. And so this is good news for us today. Amen. Amen. This is good news for us. As, and the, as the angels declared to the shepherds in Luke 2, and light, boom, shone into their darkness. And he, they said, the angels said, this is good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, that same good news is being declared around the world this morning and right here in Fort Worth. Amen.
And so we can see that this is who God has been, who God is, and who he will be for all eternity. That he is not an apathetic God. He's not uninterested. He is instead Emmanuel. He's with us. He's Jesus, the Son of God, and it's good news today. So practically, just want to kind of start bringing this down here. Um, got a couple of questions here. You can write these down. I don't know if they ended up. I gave them to them late, so I'm not sure if they'll make it up here or not. But if not, just write them down. A couple of reflection questions for you in your own time with the Lord. Are you in some type of situation right now where you're tempted to panic and rely upon your own strength? It's a good, good question to just circle back with the Lord on. How are you responding to that situation? What do you tend to do when you're pressed in those crisis moments? What are your go-to things that are, maybe they're not, it's not the things that you need to be doing that we need to rely on the Lord? And how are we allowing Jesus to enter into this situation or these situations? So today, the good news is if we find ourselves in a messy situation or a crisis of some kind, that if you feel trapped or out of control and and it, like you feel like that, like I described at the beginning, you feel surrounded in some way, then receive the good news today that Jesus has not left us alone, that God has not left us alone, but that he's come to us. Let us lay aside all the ways that we've tried to come up with our own plans and our own ways to rely upon our own strength. And let us instead repent and turn from that and turn to the Lord. And recognize that we have nothing to fear that he is Emmanuel. He is the revelation of God, of God with us. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to take some time here to respond to the Lord this morning. So if you would go ahead and stand up and ministry team and worship team, if you guys would come on forward. You know, we like to take this time every Sunday because... We want to be able to respond to what the Lord's doing. I'm confident that the Lord's been speaking to us in worship, during transition, during the sermon, in some way, in some form or fashion. The Lord's speaking. That's what he does. He comes close to us. And, but we want to be ones who have an opportunity to take a step of faith and, and, and also to be ones who, you know, and to come up and receive prayer, but also be ones, we want to be the church. We want to be able to pray for one another and come around each other and and, uh, and bless one another. And so that's what this time is about. And so I just have a couple of questions here uh, to reflect on. And so even just, maybe just close your eyes here. Lord, would you come and just meet us if there's anything you're highlighting? So just a couple of questions. Is there anything in my life right now where I'm not trusting the Lord, but instead relying on my own strength? Lord, let things just come to mind now. Any places where we're not trusting you, but we're relying on our own strength. Would you have mercy on us, God. Maybe another question would be, in what ways is the Lord reminding you of your identity as his child right now? So maybe that was more what you needed to be reminded of your identity this morning. So, Lord, would you come and speak? You know, earlier this week in our staff prayer meeting, Laura 
felt like the Lord, uh, my wife, um, felt like the Lord had a word for us there in the staff meeting, but we, we felt like it was for us as a church. She said she felt like the Lord was highlighting the phrase um, that, that he has all that we need for whatever situation. It's a simple phrase, but it's exactly what we're talking about. He has all we need. And he, she went around the room and, and, you know, there's a handful of, a handful of us in the room and looked us in the eye and said it like, James, you have all you need to be a father, to be my husband, to be, and just, you know, all around the room, it was powerful. It's a powerful moment. And I just want to say, I think that that's a word for us. So if you need somebody even to say that to you right now, just, you know, that's okay. Like he's saying that to us. I have all I, I have all you need right now for whatever you're facing. Whatever that crisis is, whatever that mess is that you found yourself in, I have all that you need. Isaiah 55, which we, is a word for us as a church right now, says to come to him and buy food and drink even when you don't have money. So do you feel poor and desperate right now? That's okay. That's a good place to be because he said, come and buy food and drink. I have all that you need. So whatever it is, whether it's something I've talked about here or something else going on in your life, uh, come on up and get prayer. Let's be the church. Let's come around each other. Let's rally around each other. Lord, would you just come as I begin to pray. Father, we just welcome you to come and move. Holy Spirit, have your way in our hearts. Lord, any places, Lord, where you uh, are calling us to take a step of faith, to say, I trust you, God, or where you need to hear just... We're that fresh piece of identity from the Lord. Lord, would you come and meet us? Would you come and speak to hearts all around the room right now and shape us, Jesus? Here we are, your people. Come and have your way in us. So come on, get prayer as the Lord leads you.